Well, I, I think it's un unprecedented how many times we use the word unprecedented in this, in this season. Um, but it's it's unprecedented for a presidential candidate to step aside at this stage in the process. You're listening to the USSC Briefing Room, a podcast from the United States Study Center at the University of Sydney, where we give you a seat at the table for a USSC briefing on the latest developments in U.S. news and foreign policy. We'll cover what you need to know and what's beneath the surface of the news. Hello, I'm Mari Kirk, Director of Engagement and Impact at the USSC. Thank you for joining us on the USSC Briefing Room today. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're meeting on today. Uh, the University of Sydney is located on the land of the Gadigal people of the ER Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present, and future. Last week, the special counsel, Robert Herr, released his report with findings of his investigation into President Biden's handling of classified documents after he left the office of vice president. While it's a legal vindication in that he will not be charged, it has poured petrol on the fire that is the discussion of Biden's age and whether he's up for a second term. USSC non-resident senior fellow Bruce Wolpe was a former staffer on the Hill and penned an op-ed that ran in the Sydney Morning Herald this week and is titled, What Would It Take for Biden to Step Aside? We want to dive into this topic with someone who is a Washington insider. Um, how much of a risk is this to Biden's campaign? Who is winning the messaging war between Republicans and Democrats? And ultimately, what would actually have to happen in order for President Biden to step aside? All right, so just to start things off, could you provide a little context for us around this particular classified documents case and how it compares uh, with the case that is currently against former President Trump? When uh, the authorities moved against Donald Trump for removing documents from the White House that um, the uh, general, the archives believed should not be in his possession, belong to the people of the United States, the government of the United States, and so forth. That Well, that led to a major investigation of what he took, when he took it, how, how it was transported, and so forth, and to try and return them. And that, in turn, triggered a, a series of back and forth on document requests, Trump not complying with it, ultimately leading to subpoenas. Trump did not comply with those, ultimately leading to the famous raid on Mar-a-Lago to seize the documents and take them away. So, and it's a big deal. Um, it, it, in the uh, scope of uh, documents involved, hundreds and the quality of them cl classified at the highest levels, um, it looked like a serious, it appears to be a serious breach of uh, norms, protocols, and, and possibly the law. So um, when Trump refused to um, cooperate, uh, the uh, Justice Department took it to a grand jury, and he's, he's been indicted and is awaiting trial in Florida on that. But it also triggered, well, there have been a lot of people holding office recently. And so what did they also run afoul of the classified documents rules and what could be done? Specifically, Vice President Pence and former Vice President Joe Biden. And investigations were launched in, uh, and uh, uh, agents um, scoured uh, residences and offices and so forth. Uh, with Vice President Pence, who was found there were minimal issues and he received a letter clearing him. But with President Biden, as we've seen over the past few days, um, there were um, a significant number of documents of uh, serious classified nature scattered in various locations. Um, but a decision was taken not to prosecute or seek an indictment of uh, former Vice President and now President Joe Biden. And I think there were two distinguishing factors in that. One, the degree of cooperation uh, afforded to the uh, uh, to the Justice Department by 
President Biden, he opened all his homes, all, all his properties, all his offices, and they were able to access things and deal with them. And secondly, and this is where it becomes more politically explosive, um, is the report that, he, that the special prosecutor, Robert Herr, and just a little digression, he is a Republican. He was appointed by President Trump to be the U.S. attorney for the state of Maryland. And uh, that was done by the attorney general. And I think what that shows is the attorney general was bending over backwards to present a fair process. In other words, that he would have a Republican investigate uh, Joe Biden and reach a judgment as to where he stood under the law so that they couldn't be accused as Trump does. This is for Trump. This is the Democratic president instructing the Democratic attorney general to instruct his agents to indict Donald Trump and remove him from the ballot effectively because of this matter. So by appointing a um, Republican former U.S. attorney, United States attorney, he was bending over backwards to show that, in fact, it would be an impartial investigation. So, so Mr. Herr, in, uh, in making his findings, not only on scope and uh, scale of what Joe Biden's held as far as documents, but he, he also made certain findings of what it would take to prosecute the case. And then he gets into um, issues of uh, President Biden's cognitive wow. abilities. And that, and essentially he said that um, a trial would be fraught because Biden could not recall in the evidence that he gave in two days of uh, testimony, could, could not recall in great detail exactly what happened and that he presented as an old man who, um, whose memory was slipping. And therefore, a jury would find it hard to convict under those circumstances. Well, that has really uh, opened the whole, um, a whole examination it opened the political firestorm of, well, is Joe Biden competent to stay as president of the United <laughs> States? And, and this is happening. Now, there's another. So that debate has unfolded over the past several days, and it's going to continue and intensify as um, in real time, Republicans on in the House of Representatives are saying they want to hold hearings on this. They want to get hear testimony from Mr. Herr, the um, uh, special counsel. And uh, and get his views uh, on direct on the on the record under oath on the president's um, uh, cognitive abilities and fitness to hold office. And so you can see that we are right in the middle of a political fight uh, for this. Is, this all has to do with the election in November and who has the advantage. And they want to take whatever advantage Joe Biden has away and lock it up yeah. somewhere. So that's yeah, what Yeah, and doing. I read that the Republicans <laughs> are also trying to request, you know, videotapes or recordings of the interviews. Of yeah. the evidence, right, and, and so forth. It, uh, this is not abnormal. Um, I mean, the, the uh, former special prosecutors have testified on their findings and so forth, but um, you can be certain that uh, they will go to the fullest length to get the fullest record before the public in order to, um, A, ascertain what happened, and then B, to, uh, I think they want to score big political yeah, points. Yeah, and it. It, it's normal for them to try and, you know, politicize it, um, capitalize on it. Is it normal for a special counsel to include statements in the report of this nature. I guess in this case, he was saying it's all in the context of if it went to trial and how the president would present himself. Is, is that within the normal realm or is, are his statements about his memory um, outside the normal scope? There's, there's differing opinion on that, but experts seem to have that there are rules and norms and uh, guidance as to uh, how evidence is characterized and how oh. far you go. And, and I'd say mainstream legal opinion, I'm not a lawyer, but from what I've read over the past few days is that the uh, special prosecutor has a duty to say, I'm going to charge or not charge uh -huh. and and reach that judgment. But to get into um, editorialized 
uh, words that tend to editorialize the, co uh, the condition of witnesses and so forth is another matter. We saw this sensationally in the impeachment of President Bill Clinton when uh, Kenneth Starr, this special prosecutor, issued a voluminous report of hundreds of pages that read like a sex novel. And, uh, and that uh, certainly did not help the president's standing. And so, so these, um, again, editorial, subjective, uh, uh, it didn't consult with the medical opinion as to whether Joe Biden could give truthful evidence or anything, or whether his state of mind was, um, or at least not that we know about. Um, this, but in having uh, such um, literary um, descriptions of, uh, of the president uh, presents issues. I think most people would say, just tell us, are you going to charge him or not? Why are you going to do it or not? And then be, be the end with it. But he went further. Yeah. And on the flip side, former President Trump is only four years younger than Biden. And both candidates are, you know, the oldest, you know, major party nominees that we've had uh, running for president. Uh, and they beat the previous record, which was themselves four years ago. Um, and the questions around President Trump and his mental state and capacity to hold office have also swirled for years. He would be 82 at the end of a second term. Um, but in terms of Biden, with this report, the discussion around his age um, and his capacity for you know conducting a second term, it's only been growing. And especially now with what the Republicans on the Hill are going to do to capitalize on it. it at the moment, who's really kind of winning this war of messaging around Biden's age or Trump's fitness for holding office? Are Republicans or Democrats ahead at the moment? It, it the issue's been with us for, for um, well over a year as people have uh, come to understand that it's going to be Trump and Biden facing off against each other. Um, and the, so, and there, there have been headwinds on Biden because of age four as a significant period of time. And, um, uh, but, and most Americans feel that both candidates are kind of too old to be elected. I've seen polls of 70% saying they wish they didn't have this choice. Oh. And then among independents, that figure independent voters, which are the swing voters that can decide an election, the figures even higher, like 80% are unhappy. And then, uh, and Democrat, and even a majority of Democrats are not happy that this is the choice that they have. And it has, um, and so the headwind is um, crystallized in feelings of enthusiasm for one candidate or the other candidate. And in Joe Biden's case, it really diminishes enthusiasm among key demographics as where they're going to vote for him. And it's especially evident among young voters. Well, and uh, and they, um, you know, you don't want to vote for grandpa. And that is an understandable factor. Uh, there are some other issues. Well, he said he'd do a lot on student debt. We've gotten some. We haven't gotten a lot. There, are, there is a war issue. This is the Israel-Gaza war is this generation's Vietnam war. And uh, young people that I know are generally anti-war. And uh, Biden is associated with that war. And uh, he's paying a price for it with younger voters. With um, Trump, it's um, uh, his base uh, is amped up. I, I, he, and, and so he has uh, the support, as we've seen in the primaries, 50, 55, 60% of voting Republicans. They're all in with him that the election of 2020 was stolen. They're all in with him that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. And so therefore the age headwind is less, but there's also a dramatic um, persona uh, component to this, which is that when Trump gets on the stage, he talks like Fidel Castro in a very energetic way for 90 minutes or more. And that says to people, wow, this guy is really vigorous. Joe Biden is much more measured, shorter. His voice is, is uh, not as strong. Um, he can hesitate from time to time. 
In other words, it's uh, Trump looks more vigorous and therefore the age issue counts against him less. And, and so what this means right now, and it will evolve further towards November, is Biden is weak in, in his standing. His approval rating is uh, at 40 percent at best. I've seen 37. I've seen maybe 41. Um, and uh, you can't win the presidency at 40 percent approval going in. It needs to be for our listeners. Just keep this in mind. In September, if Biden is not at 45 percent, that's a danger zone for him. And we just have to see where that goes. Trump never has high approval either. But again, if it's in a country that has a voluntary voting and you're, and the, the turnout is much higher on one side compared to the other and whose allies turn out and the Trump base, you know, every last vote comes, but the Democratic base, some people decide to stay home or not vote at the presidential line or vote for a third party. All this goes into what looks like a very, very close, very tense, very contested election. And are there concerns growing within the Democratic Party or within his campaign um, around Biden's candidacy? Um, and is there any momentum around that maybe he would actually step aside? Uh, it, what's really interesting is this is the dog that doesn't hasn't barked. I mean, what's really interesting is that no member of the cabinet has said come said, you know, I've, I've thought about it. I care about President Biden a lot, but he, I just don't think he's up for a second term. There are no calls for him to step aside from the Democratic leadership in Congress, uh, there in House or the Senate. No one. There is none, and none of them uh, months ago said, "I want to run against Joe Biden." There's this congressman from Minnesota, Phillips, who's going has gone nowhere, and uh, no governor also. Uh, and there are many. There's a lot of presidential timber among Democratic governors, um, uh, and none of them. Gavin Newsom is Joe Biden's strongest supporter, the governor of California. Gretchen Whitmer, they're all the Pritzker of Illinois. They're all with him. So that says to me that there is no loss of confidence at all in President Biden and how he does business. Um, so uh, so, so it, for, for Biden to step down, it, he has to take himself off the field. No, it's, uh, it's also very late in the in the political process for someone to come in and challenge and beat him and so forth. And so, so then I asked the question, well, what does it take for, what would it take for Biden to take himself off the field? And I, there, I think there are several things that we uh, should look for uh, if they develop that would f uh, lead further that uh, question in his mind. Um, the, the Washington press corps is not shy and they try and track everything. There are no stories of leaks from, uh, White House staff or cabinet members who say, gosh, you know, he really is, I'm really worried about his mental state. Those articles do not appear. And again, there are no public statements from the highest levels of the Democratic Party, or even the middle levels of the Democratic Party, saying uh, Biden should go. So in the end, and also there, there can be an objective health event, as we saw with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, where in two instances, uh, he froze for many seconds, unable to talk. If that happened to President Biden, I think that would um, instantly um, lead him to uh, retire from the field. Oh. So so the answer is there's a hell of a lot of speculation about he's going to step aside and there is zero evidence to back it. Zero. And if he did step aside, how would that impact the election and the playing field? Would it 
add more energy? Would it hand all the cards to Trump? What do you think would happen? Well, I, I think it's un- unprecedented how many times we use the word unprecedented in this, <laughs> in this season. Um, but it's it's unprecedented for a presidential candidate to step aside at this stage in the process. Oh. Um, what would happen from here is, I mean, Joe Biden's on the ballot for the primaries that are unfolding, and uh, he will win those primaries, and ele- Biden delegates will be elected. If he stands aside, those delegate, I assume he would free those delegates. They would meet in the convention. In uh, August, you'd have 2,000 leaders of the Democratic Party, all the members of Democrats in Congress and so forth. And they would work, they would have an, a, a, an election to choose their candidate from that. I think that's how that would work. What is really interesting is that with Trump, everyone is staying with him, notwithstanding, and just a small matter of his cognitive abilities. He, he just seems to be more and more extreme, more and more erratic in what he says oh. from attacking Nikki Haley's husband for not being with him as he's serving overseas in the National Guard in Africa to saying that uh, Russia should uh, just work its will against NATO members that don't pay their dues to NATO and he, they can do, whatever, quote, whatever the hell they want, whatever the hell Russia wants. So that's unfolding. But what's, what's really interesting is, and again, Trump has not cracked 50% at all in the polls, and even though he's leading in some swing states and so forth, uh, they would have a slam dunk Republican winner in Nikki Haley. I think she could, I think her road to beating Biden is much easier than Trump's road to beating Biden. But the party has no interest in going with her. I mean, I thought political parties want to win, uh, but they have no interest in embracing the candidate who actually, I think, could be the perfect hybrid between moderate Democrats and Republicans and just really change the nature of um of, of uh, the course of the country over the next couple of years. Yeah. So there's, there's, they're sticking with Trump and uh, he's not being challenged. Well, he was challenged, but he squished everybody. Yeah. And there's a reason so many Democrats want Trump to secure the Republican nomination. I feel like that gives them the best pathway uh, to winning the White House again. Uh, last thing I just want to touch base on before we go, if Biden wants to, you know, gain control, not just of you know, the messaging around his age, uh, his, his age and his fitness for office, but really to boost his chances of victory in November, what can he do from here? I think he needs to, um, first of all, my, my, my belief from observation, people I talk to and everything, he has all his marbles. He knows what he's doing. He gets stuff out of uh, this Congress, which is dysfunctional, that almost anyone else would fail to get. He, I mean, he seems to take the Republicans to the cleaners on every budget fight and everything else that goes on. He may yet win on aid to Ukraine, which would be quite a major achievement. Yeah. Um, and on the foreign stage, he is uh, deeply respected. And, you know, from whether you agree or disagree with what he's done with Israel, I mean, his leadership of it has been um, solid, rock solid. Uh, NATO feels the same. Ukraine feels the same. So he's, he, is the, the, he is the commander in chief and he uh, exercises his authority. Uh, I think he can change his uh, style of campaigning and come, I call it, he, he needs some Aussie style ca- uh, campaigning. He needs to go retail and he needs to go, I think he needs to walk neighborhoods. I think he go, go into shopping malls, shake hands, put his arm around people, just say, this is what I'm doing for you. I think um, he needs to, he, he started going on TikTok. He, uh, you have a problem with young people? Well, go where the young people are. They're on TikTok. I thought the video, the Super Bowl video was terrific. <laughs> And he needs to do much more of that. Uh, so I think he has to low-key it and just get out and um, really spend time so that people say, yeah, 
He's old, but you know something? Joe's okay, particularly compared to the other guy. And I think that would help lift him a little bit and it'd be a different style of campaigning. But where it, where what he does now, he goes into big halls and gives speeches and there are union officials behind him and everything, and that's fine. But I go retail. I, and I th- and the media would follow it. It'd be it would be terrific. Uh, Trump doesn't go retail. He has his big rallies. Okay, that works for him. Let, let go under, around him, and above him, and uh, and just uh, make a difference. So I think that would be really significant. Well, I think it'll be interesting to watch for and see um, if his campaign kind of adapts and pivots from here, or if they stay the course. Yeah, they're they're not stupid. These are really smart people, oh. and they and they elected him and they served him well in twenty twenty. They know exact. They know all the incoming. They know what's, what they face and, and what the incoming is, and uh, I think they'll devise things. The other thing is, you know, at this stage, there are going to be surprises. Other things are going to happen. The Robert Hur's report was a surprise, but it, it, I think it's actually better to have this debate now than in October. Yeah. I think that would be, uh, that would be the end of the campaign in October. So that's the real question. Can you learn from such a setback and capitalize on it and put yourself in a stronger position going into the northern summer? Than you are today. So I think actually Robert Hur did him a favor uh, by uh, saying, hey, you're going to have to face, fa- you know, you got to deal with this. So we'll see. I think he'll, I believe they will deal with it. And I, uh, that plus an improving economy and lower interest rates uh, would be really, really helpful to him right now. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the timing is, it's much better to have it now rather than later and gives him the best chance to kind of yeah, move forward um, and get on top of the messaging, the campaign, get what he needs to. It's very interesting to see so many variables still to play out. Uh, so I think this election will continue to be closely watched. Um, and of course, we'll be following it here uh, at the USSC throughout the year. Um, and as we wrap up, I would like to point to a couple of other podcasts that may be of interest to our listeners. Uh, our CEO, Dr. Michael Green, is co-host of the Asia Chessboard podcast with Jude Blanchett, the Freeman Chair for China Studies at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Uh, and I'd also recommend checking out our USSC Live podcast series, which runs recordings from our major live events, um, including all of our election watch events uh, from this year that will be happening. You can find these on our website at ussc.edu.au or wherever you get your podcasts. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Great honor. Thank you so much, Mari.